Welcome to our show today. I'm Oz Hussain, and I'm joined by my partner in crime, Paul Hewitt. Um, welcome, Paul. It's been a while since we've done this. It has been a while, and this is probably the first time that we've actually been in the same studio together. Good morning and hello, Oz. Thank you very much. So today's uh, topic is the value of bite-sized learning, and I'm delighted to say that we've got a special guest to kick off our uh, second wave of podcast, Ilya uh, Shetsov. He's a CHRO, Neon Lab. Um, Ilya, warm welcome to you. Thank you for joining us on our, like I said, our second wave of podcast. It's been a, a, a bit of an absence. If you want to give us a little overview of what you're about and where, you know your history and your experience. Sure. Well, first of all, thank you very much, Jeff, for inviting me over here. And it's a pleasure and it's an honor since you are restarting your podcast. And um, yeah, I guess, um, what can I say about myself? I have been in HR for more than, I think, 15 years now. And uh, more than half of my career has been in learning development, performance management, career growth, etc. So I'm more than familiar with um, the learning um frameworks and uh, whatnot and I still believe even though I have moved on to uh, more HR people partner uh, HR director role um, a while ago but I still believe that uh, I think learning and development is the most creative part of HR is the most exciting part of HR because um, you see how people are growing people are changing their careers their lives uh, people are getting happier and um, yeah, every now and then, um, I'm still um, excited about all the opportunities that you can create within the company uh, for your people. Absolutely, Elliot. Elliot, your your journey, your journey into your current role uh, at Neon Labs has been, you know, varied, quite mixed in terms of different organisations. Tell me about your your life journey to date and how you ended up with Neon Labs and how Neon Labs is. Perhaps bearing in mind it's in a very fast-moving, dynamic environment. How that both is different and is similar in terms of some of the other organisations you've been in HR roles in. Sure, Paul. Um, you're right. It's been a roller coaster, I guess. Well, first of all, I'm Moscow born and bred, and um, um, until I was 35, I guess I was living in Moscow and uh, I was working in. Um, a variety of large organizations from, I don't know, uh, maybe 12 up to 35,000 people. Um, mostly it was uh, retail. So I did consumer electronics and then moved to the food retail and then to um, home improvement. And um, basically the home improvement company, which is King Fisher, um, they relocated me in 2019 to London to lead the um, HR transformation project, uh, which started from um, funny enough, from learning and development uh, framework, but uh, grew into the whole HR um, capability. And that's how I ended up in London and um, how my journey started here in the UK. Um, again, moving from um, home improvement to logistics, and then uh, we were opening a business in the United States um, and then across Europe. And um, I didn't know, I think uh, because I myself is a, is a learner, by design. I love to learn and uh, I've got 
two degrees, getting a third degree right now. And I think when Neon Labs approached me last year, um, I thought, hmm, Web3, I'd never done it before. And this is something new and exciting. And surely there is a future behind it. So I, I took the opportunity and I joined the company. Um, and yeah, since then, I've been building the HR capability within Neon. And, um, you know, answering your question, maybe, how is it similar or different? I, I think it's both. Um, you know, uh, you know all the frameworks, you know the bite-sized learning, you know the um, methodology and uh, what you can apply in the company. But I think it's different every time, depending on the audience, on the infrastructure, on the budget, on the needs. Um, you know, the unique place, uh, which is Neon is, um, I think because we've got about 55, 60 people now, but they are all across 23 countries, 13 nationalities. And I think the cultural bit is the one that enriches us um, as the team, regardless of the you know learning and development framework that I've put in. Um, so this is a big part of our learning. And we just got back from um, a corporate trip to Vietnam. Uh, we do it once a year, like because we are so remote and global. Um, it's a great opportunity for team to meet face to face and build those relationship and bonds. And uh, we just got back from Vietnam, but part of the trip was devoted to um, cross cultural communication. How we can embrace the differences of our background, the countries, the cultures, the traditions, what we love, what we um, do differently, um, how we say things. Um, uh, it was a blast honestly and uh, such a great learning um like both culturally and professionally with the team and Ilya, you know for an organization that you know really is at the forefront of sort of disrupting a finance ultimately you know so everything's decentralized everything's new cutting edge what you just said there is almost polar opposite you're coming together uh you're doing what people some people would say maybe that's traditional coming together we you know we're seeing a big surge in that again now because people don't want everything to be remote. And what I like what you say there, for a company that is so futuristic in what it's doing, uh, coming together that way to embrace the cultures, you know, can that be achieved? Yeah, well, you tell me, could you achieve what you achieved in Vietnam remotely? I think I think it's a very good point. I think you need first to come together to build something decentralized. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, um, I think also another um, point about our company is we just launched uh, our product, uh, so it's not even been a year. We launched it last year in July, and we're still on the stage of um, searching for the product market fit. Um, so we are testing, we are you know, trying different hypotheses, um, uh, trying different verticals, and uh, we need to collaborate together. Yes, Zoom is amazing, Teams, Google, whatever you're using is amazing in terms of, you know, um, instant access to uh, people but the chemistry um, the argument you know the 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 heat that you can create by you know coming together and working together and you know nobody cared that you know sometimes we would stay up to like 2 a.m um, talking about uh, oh I did this oh can you try that um, it was so precious and so unique that you know you you know that such meetings are like a long um, lasting benefit. Uh, problem. That's fantastic. I now want to just drill down, though, onto one other thing that you mentioned earlier on. Earlier, you talked about the learning journey. Let's think in terms of how we learn, um, and in particular, your focus on bite-sized learning, both within the on and outside. 
tell tell us what what is it? Why does it work? How does it work? And how does it benefit, um, particularly in a fast-moving organisation, but actually to organisations in general? I don't even remember when um, the bite-sized learning concept came along. I, I think it was years ago, and uh, I think um, I came across this um, concept. And I don't even know if I I know read it uh, somewhere or somebody told me about it, but it was so natural and logical. Again, because I've spent most of my years in retail, and what's retail? It's it's fast, it's uh, customer focused, and uh, you know you need. I remember so. Like I pride myself in being a um, business partner. And what I mean by that, I know it's very cliche, but I actually mean it. Uh, like, for example, when I joined Kingfisher, I asked anybody, um, everybody not to say who I was. And they employed me as the shop assistant on the floor for three weeks so I can understand how we teach product, how we teach customer service, leadership, etc., uh, where the mentorship work. And then I can build my you know, strategy, L&D strategy around it. So um, I spent those three weeks um, on the shop floor and the first um, course that I got um, to go through was a course about six types of soil and it lasted for four and a half hours. And I was like, for God's sake, like even if I wanted to be a soil professional, like I wouldn't last that long. Um, and, um, you know, I think uh, the essence of the bite-sized learning is it's just in time information for a learner um, that they need to perform the job. Um, so after that, I started restructuring uh, the courses around, okay, what do we need? We need features and benefits. We've got our customer service standards um, and how to close the sale. So from four and a half hours, um, it came down to probably seven, eight minutes. Um, and with some, you know, fun, with some engagement, with some, I don't know, pins and badges along the way, um, maybe a couple of tests. I loved Kahoot app at some point uh, that gives you that, you know, fun and engagement. Um, so, and yeah, I think uh, this is more about, like, say, the product uh, learning. But it's not only around the hard skills, if you will. I think uh, I started using that as well for the like leadership and development. Um, you can use it as a pre-read, uh, you know, to get the audience into the topic, uh, to give some flavor about what we're going to be talking about and, uh, you know, to give some foundation, vocabulary, descriptions, whatever, definitions, uh, but also as a, like, aftertaste, um, you know, we've, we've done, I don't know, two days together, we've, we've spent three days in Vietnam together talking about cross-culture, talking about product, talking about how we can take care about ourselves. These are the app, like takeaways, you know, quick, again, very visual um, highlights of uh, every concept, but something you can easily have a look, remember instantly what we were talking about and uh, yeah, very uh, hands-on to apply. So really, it's not the whole solution. It's just a part of the, the learning solution as, a, as an overall to consolidate other elements. Because I know some yeah, people... Yeah, a lot of organizations we talk to, they're looking for something and you think, okay, that's great. You can't achieve that in just, you know, with bite-sized learning. You're not going to change behaviors. You're going to embed some behaviors and some, you know, some things that you want from the learning, but it can't be the whole solution. Yeah, and maybe we don't have to. I mean, we're not providing a degree or, you know, a higher education. You know, it's just something that you need right now 
to perform your job better, to become better at what you do. And I think this is the essence of uh, Bite Size. You know, another thing which I hate to mention, but I think it, it's still important, it's the attention span. I think we're so, we, are, we are so used to, you know, social media, reels, stories on Instagram, you know, very quick content that doesn't take much of your time, effort, attention to consume, but something stays somewhere like in the back of your mind. And I think, you know, that's how we started perceiving the bite-sized learning as well. Something quick, catchy, um, memorable, um, but also sort of like can be hands-on. Yeah. Le- learning when you need it. Yes, exactly. Learning for education. And I think that's that's the value. How, how would you then integrate bite-sized learning as part of a overall development program? Uh, as as also is it is it a small part with an overall framework or is it a suite of bite-sized learning modules or i think i think it's an overarching sort of structure um you can have um we are only um we're just getting started at neo in terms of the learning and development frameworks um as i said we just launched the product so we're going to start um teaching like the community and uh, the new team members the existing uh, team members about the product and uh, how you can use it, how the community can use it. And uh, we're starting like different formats, seminars, um, lectures, uh, something to read, something um, to like fill out, etc. But I think the overarching is the bite size. You can find some content on Neon um, Notion page. Something is published on our white papers, which we can link to. Um, and if, and if, again, if you are, are willing to spend four and a half hours, um, you know, off you go. This is the white papers on our website. If not, this is the summary um, of, you know, um, our content and knowledge base that you can look through and get what you need. And, and then just coming on to that, in some ways, it's a user choice. If you want to go into the detail, you can. If you've got enough time, if you want a high level view, how where, where do you do you start with a detail and and use some type of AI algorithm to strip out ninety percent of the content, or almost do you start with the essential messages uh, and then build up? I think sometimes people can be lazy when they auto summarize, can't they? I think many years ago I realised that um, my goal as the head of learning development or the function is not to force people to learn. My task is to understand what people need to be more successful to get the knowledge and then provide them with that um, knowledge, that information, regardless of the bite-sized learning or four and a half hour learning. Um, But it's more about giving access um, and make it preferably in a fun, engaging way. So, uh, you know, people would want to go back to that platform, whether it's, you know, LMS or Notion page nowadays uh, or any other uh, source of information but we are giving you what you need to be more successful knowledgeable um, um, you know whether it's your um, primary job or you just want to expand your knowledge about something and here's the access yes we can try um, I guess it depends also on the um, uh, task but you know we can just put the uh, content somewhere and uh, I don't know, link every now and then everything we say or we launch to, you know, you can have a look at there. Um, you know, I, I guess everybody's using Slack, especially in, um, you know, startups. So um, you can create links from Slack to your internal LMS or um, Notion page. Um, yeah, um, I guess it, 
at least I'm going from that idea. I need to provide the information you need to be more successful. And I'm getting that feeling of there's a much more of an ethos of sharing. There's new things that come out and it's being shared. And that almost promotes, almost uh, I took from what you said earlier, you're trying to create a learning environment where there's a stickiness. People want to come to the learning platform or the- come back. Yeah. I'm going to keep coming back with the stickiness because they're genuinely getting something from it. I'm sure though, Ilya, from your time of learning about soil, you must have some great plants in your house, though. Variety of big plants. <laughs> well, you know, surprise, like fun enough, but my friends call me a cereal plant killer. So no, I need. Like, I should have. I should have taken the full course. <laughs> You've had the bells ringing behind you, and the bells just give us a signal. <laughs> bells. We we we're, we're opposite um um Putin Town Hall. Ah, oh, it's not. It, it's Town Hall, but it sounds like a church. You kind of go, oh yeah. Are you are you working? Do you so where, is it like a, a, a little hub, an office, or is everyone completely remote out? Yeah, it's. Um, I think you know. I I keep saying that I since COVID started, I think I've hated working from home, and like I think I still do because I think I love uh, the routine, like uh, you know, coming to the office, meeting people, chatting with people, getting a coffee on the way to myself and someone else. I think the novelty of working from home wore off quite quickly. I think, uh, and, and in particular for for younger people coming out of academia into the world of work, they want to go to an office. Um, and to be honest, we we had to change our business model quite quickly from a face-to-face trading consultancy to more online. Um, but now we are finding that clients want to get back, and and some people have you know taken a very blunt move, which is remote working stops, go back to the office. Other organisations have said remote working forever. But I think you, you, you use the word vibe. I think the culture of organizations change when people no longer meet and talk face to face. Those off the you know off the cuff conversations just cease. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's um, there are a few challenges with that. You know, in terms of the management, even like um, you know, people used to manage people. Um, in the office, you know, where you, where you can have like one-on-one. And again, for me, and maybe not for everyone, but this chemistry, um, it plays a vital role. Like, uh, so even having one-on-one with your team member can be very different from, you know, Zoom from um, in the office. It's a very different skill set. But, but does bite-sized learning link in more to remote learning as opposed to face-to-face because it's all it's almost a platform that encourages you you've got five minutes let's just turn a little bit about alcohol te- uh, uh, not alcohol testing uh, <laughs> uh, alkaline testing and that's what i'm saying alcohol testing it's soil <laughs> see I, I know nothing about soil that's well it's yeah well it's thursday it's fine <laughs> okay I think it's easier, surely. I think that it, it's quicker and easier. And maybe that's why you need to make it more fun. I mean, we all seen people, you know, sitting at some online seminar, but you can see in their eyes that they're like answering emails or they're doing something else. No, no, so, no, no. Because they're, like yeah. you said, often you're on their attention span. Everyone's attention span now. You know, it's true. It's, yeah. No. Is that worrying though? Are people? Is there medical evidence that suggests that people can focus on sh- for shorter times now as a result of the fact we've got media coming from all different directions? Is that is that a almost a medical observation, or is it just because people are getting lazy? 
they, they no longer need to concentrate for long periods of time. Or perhaps maybe learning styles have changed so much that the, the concept of an AR academic lecture was probably never... Yeah, I don't know if it, that's a, a medical research, actually, but I think looking at the numbers that I think the baby boomers, uh, the attention span was 20 seconds and then millennials was 12 seconds and now the Gen Z is eight, sec yeah, eight seconds when a goldfish is nine. Again, according to... <laughs> <laughs> so it's getting... I like I don't want to say it's getting worse, but it's <laughs> getting less. It's like it's like you did. Then why my children don't? Oh, that's it. That's nice. And maybe I've never heard that before. That's fantastic. No, yeah, yeah, it's true. And maybe I, I think maybe that's why we are getting so many cases of uh, ADHD now. I think that somehow linked together. Um, you know, when you're just restless, you've got so many. So much noise around uh, that you can't really focus. So, what, what's the ultimate? Have you worked out what the ultimate length of a bite-sized learning chunk should be? Because presumably, less than three or four minutes. Nine, nine seconds. seconds. <laughs> yeah, it's a nine second. Yeah. <laughs> um, I must confess, learning when you need it is brilliant. I, 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 I know nothing about cars, but I needed to change something on my car, so I look on YouTube. Uh, and there are, you know, four or five videos. Exactly, here is what you need to do if you were to do this about your car. Uh, and I watched it, and I fixed it, and I thought, wow, I didn't know I had that skill. That's really focused learning. But when you need it, ignoring yeah. the again, knowing where, also knowing where you can get it from. And that's why, yeah, I say that you know you need to link it back always. Like this is where you can find it. This is where the resource is. The same with me. Like um, I still like I. I can't work with Excel, so anytime I need to do a pivot table, I need to go on YouTube. And what I'm searching for is the shortest video on how to do a, um, a pivot table. <laughs> and, it, and there is a lot of tosh as well, I'm afraid. You've got to wait. Right. <laughs> There's no kind of quality mark. Um, no. Yeah. That, that is a good point. I know often when I look for something, yeah, you're right. You see something for 20 minutes and you just dismiss that one straight away. You think, just tell me in a minute. I don't want all the fluff. Yeah. I literally want to get to the yeah. thing what I need to do, and that's it. And you and you and you you, you dismiss the rest. Maybe we need your bite-sized podcast. Maybe yeah, yeah. Everything in the podcast. Well, in about thirty seconds, Elliot. You go go. <laughs> but that's what I told Rajul that you know I love that your um, uh, episodes are not fifty minutes, not like an hour and a half, but very concise, very right to the point. Uh, but yeah. There is so much talk at the moment about AI uh, and AI doing this, AI helping learning. Uh, but you used a, a, at one point a lovely expression, which is the human element of learning. Are you finding, you know, if people get lazy, let's, let's do, let's create an AI course on bite-sized learning that it lacks a human element. It is, it is all artificial. There is no humanity within it. That's just my, my observation. I'm wondering what your views are. Use. Totally, totally agree. You know, I, I think I came, so um, I graduated from University of Foreign Languages. So I studied translation, basically interpretation. And uh, I remember that was 2003, oh my God, when um, our teacher on uh, the written translation was telling us that, yes, there there is like Google Translate coming in and, you know, something else Translate coming in. 
but there there always uh, will be 10% of the human element that none of the online translators will be able to to translate um, and I think that that is fair for any digital doesn't matter how intelligent it artificially intelligent the devices I think there is always going to be some human element that can only human um, impose on the tech and and, and some, sometimes just express it out of sight out of mind you know the expression that we know which AI translated as invisible maniac <laughs> but no that's not that's not what we mean as a humanity no but it's, it's an interesting point and, I, and maybe that's subject of another podcast because I think that, that that I'm we are looking in in a very fast moving environment where almost everything is coming AI and I think we're losing some humanity yeah. uh, out out of that which is everything's becoming it's sounding artificial and sounding too constrained and I think yeah. that learning is to be real and engaging it has to be human. We're coming to the end of our time together, but I just wanted to pick up on one thing. Throughout the whole of this podcast, you, you've used words like fun and engaging, particularly when we when we start focusing uh, on bite-sized learning. D does learning have to be serious? Uh, we know that the purpose of learning is to kind of do your job better, but but when you when you do talk, and certainly in your work with the on. What, what's the value of fun and humor and competition in learning? And to what extent can we embrace that uh, in order for people to do their jobs and do their work better? I think um, it's not only about learning or bite-sized learning. I think it, in general, um, I think it's more about being human. Um, you know, you don't have to be, you know, boring. You don't have to be a professor. You don't have, I, I don't know. It's just... For me, it's all about being human, uh, whether it's learning or this is the way I build the people strategy in the company or in previous companies. It's all about being human, um, it, it, you know, learning new things. Um, it can be like for me, it is challenging. That's why I'm still learning about the Web3 because um, it's the whole different world. And, uh, yeah, you know, people started um, in this industry from 2015. Um, our founder, for example, she was. Uh, like one of the few gurus back home, um, you know, teaching people, getting people engaged into the Web3, explaining how it works. And, you know, it took them eight years to come where we are now. And, um, you know, it is challenging for me, um, but it's also exciting. And uh, thank God we've got YouTube, we've got, you know, platforms, we've got, I've, I don't know how many courses I've taken on Udemy and, you know, other learning platforms. Um, about Web3, about Bitcoin, about crypto, just to get myself more familiar. And it, it makes it, we should make it fun. We should make it human. Ilya, I think we've come to the end of our show. I think we're at a kind of a time. Uh, thank you very much for this this morning. It's been a fantastic. It's been a fantastic second wave of of podcast I think we couldn't have asked for a better guest to, to kick, kick off with thank you again very much happy to be a part of this and again well done and congrats on um, restarting your podcast <laughs>